0: I'm Carlo Pignataro, and you are listening to a new episode of Lux and Tech. The subject of today's podcast is digital transformation, one of the hottest, if not the hottest topic in today's corporate world. And to address it and understand the various conceptual and practical implications of digital transformation, I've chosen to speak with the co-author of a very detailed and well-structured book, titled The Digital Transformers Dilemma How to Energize Your Co-Business While Building Disruptive Products and Services. With my guest, Marcus Schmidt, I will try to understand how companies can plan and execute strategies to reinforce their co-business in the digital age, what Marcus calls the S-Curve 1, and contextually give life to brand new products, services, and perhaps business models, what Marcus refers to as the S-Curve 2, to ensure survival and relevance of their business in the future. We'll talk about technology, philosophy, leadership, people, and communication – in a conversation which aims at giving you the information you need to transform your business digitally while leveraging its precious legacy. Marcus, welcome to Lux and Tech. Pleasure. You are one of the co-authors of the book, The Digital Transformers uh, uh, Dilemma. And uh, I think we can safely say that digital transformation is one of the hottest topics uh, in today's uh, corporate world. And, and your book, uh, I think it's it's extremely valuable because not only it addresses uh, digital transformation from a conceptual point of view, but also from a practical Hands on point of view. So, I sense that our conversation today can provide our listeners with clear directions for them to start and hopefully successfully implement the digital transformation of their business. And before we get there, I would love if you could introduce yourself and say a few words about your work and the research work that has led to the publication of the book.
1: Thank you, Carlo. I've been working in corporate uh, companies for many years, especially in the company Bosch. And also I've been an executive, senior executive for for many years. In the last year that Bosch, I did very much looking at the digital transformation, also implementing the digital transformation. And since now more than three years, I have founded my own company in digital transformation, especially supporting family companies and also SMEs. In the digital transformation, on the one hand, I have uh, different mandates as an independent board member, but also I'm uh, actually lecturing in some universities. And now I'm also the author of this book, which is very much based also on my own long experience in digital transformation.
0: That's great. How did you structure the research work uh, that led to the publication of the book?
1: So uh, one of my co-authors is Caroline Frankenberger. She's a professor at the University of St. Gallen. And already some years ago, we had the idea of writing a book together on digital transformation. She coming more from the perspective of academia and myself coming more from the perspective of practical doing and bring this together in a, in a kind of, of book, which has a certain concept, a certain uh, structure. But on the other hand, also a lot of practical hints, practical applications. And the other two authors, younger people who joined our team, and they very much supported us in, in, the, in, in writing the book, also doing a lot of, of interviews. So we uh, did more than 100 interviews with different companies, larger, smaller companies from different industries in globally to ask them in a deep dive, not a short interview, but usually three, four hours about their best practice about their experiences on digital transformation.
0: In the book, you mentioned quite a few times uh, uh, dinosaurs' companies. <laughs> and actually, pretty much every chapter ends with a roadmap to get out of the dinosaurs' age. Markus, who are the dinosaurs' companies of today?
1: So I think it's, it's very important also that this book is a book addressed to what we call legacy companies. This means companies with a very long tradition, with a long history, very successful in their core business for decades. And now they are somehow in the situation that they have to cope with a fundamental uh, business transformation. And this business transformation is, in my opinion, very much driven by globalization, sustainability and digitization. And we very much focus in this book on digitization. And if you are very successful company, legacy company, usually business transformations, fundamental business transformation, not, you know, just short evolutions, but really big changes are very difficult. That's where you have uh, somehow to accept that you reconsider completely your business model with all consequences.
0: Yes, in fact, when I first approached the book, I asked myself, uh, "Why would uh, digital transformation be a dilemma?" I mean, it, 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 it's, it's clear to anybody that digital, or to, that software, is eating the world. Uh, to say it with the <laughs> words of Satya Nadella from Microsoft, so why, why there should ever be a dilemma? I get it. Uh, so this is a rhetorical question for you to elaborate. But why is there a dilemma, a duality in? in introducing a digital transformation in a company, in a business? I think this is one of the most important questions also. It's also the
1: purpose of our book and why. Because again, big legacy companies, they are in the situation that somehow they have to do two transformations. Yeah. They have, on the one hand, what we call core business and we uh, call it business on the first S-curve. Yeah. And then you have to build up a completely new innovative digital business on the second S curve and this is a second digital transformation we have to do and you have to do the two digital transformations and the success factors and business drivers of the two transformations are quite different and you have to make sure that in a in your company in a legacy company you accept a coexistence of two transformations which have different rules. And because they have different rules, you have large consequences with regard how to make sure that this coexistence is successful and is not diverging in two completely different directions and in two different worlds. And that's why you have this dilemma between the first S-curve digitizing your core business and the second S-curve building up completely new innovative business.
0: And shall they happen simultaneously or can they go one after the other? So let's start from the core first and then move into the new business.
1: I would say it's, of course, depending a little bit on the industry you are in. In some industries, you have already so strong business drivers on the second S-curve that you cannot wait anymore. And on other business, you might still have a certain time to start your second S-business. but. Fundamentally speaking, you have to do both in parallel. You can't wait. You can't just digitize your core business for the next 10 years, which is still your, your existing business, and waiting with the second S-curve another decade because then it might be too late because we have so many examples in the market already when you know companies were waiting too long with starting this second S-curve, they just disappeared. Think about Kodak or Nokia, yeah, or the whole music industry with Spotify and so on. And Spotify, for example, is a typical second S-curve business. And that's, it's also very important to know that all startups or tech companies some years ago, they, only, they always start on the second S-curve. They don't have any legacy on the first S-curve. So they have much more freedom, much higher agility to build up their business on the second S-curve. And that is the big difference. Our point in the book is, that there are many books on digital transformation, but right now there was no book addressing how to optimize your core business and how to build up new business and how to make sure that the coexistence of both transformations will be successful. That is the, I would say a little bit the USP of our book, also from a a, uh, concept perspective, that we are addressing this dilemma And this was never addressed before. You have many books telling you how to build up your second S-curve business. You have many books who tell you how to digitize your core business and so on. But you don't have any books helping you to to somehow manage these tensions between the two S-curves or to manage these dilemmas.
0: That's true. You also just mentioned the urgency. And I was surprised, or let's say, relatively surprised, to learn from your book that only 20, approximately 20% of companies, of incumbents today, have fully adjusted to the digital era, despite COVID 19 giving it a strong acceleration. And there are, you, you mentioned quite a few reasons why this resistance is st- still taking place. So, why is that?
1: Yeah, I mean, of course. The first topic is usually if you are in a successful core business, and this is valid or was valid for many companies before COVID until 2019, many big corporations, but also medium-sized companies have been very successful in their legacy business. And as long as you are very successful in your legacy business, there's no need for transformation because you're, you're successful. And especially there's no need to consider any business on a second S-curve, which of course, second S-curve always means it's much more complicated. It's completely new, it's innovative. And you have also to deal much more with all kinds of new technologies, for example. You know, and this is a big challenge for many companies, how to bring in all the new technologies like big data, artificial intelligence, machine learning, blockchain, you name it. And this is, of course, a very high obstacle for many companies to enter into this kind of transformation as long as you are still very successful.
0: Yeah, I see what you mean. I was intrigued uh, by a few questions that the World Economic Forum suggests a business should ask itself, the leadership of the business should ask themselves when starting their digitalization, so to speak. The the first one is, uh, are we aware of the value multiplier for society from our digital initiatives which is quite an interesting uh, intellectual exercise. And the second also, very interesting. Are we able to measure the socio-economic impact of our digital initiatives? So I realize that uh, the moment we digitalize, the impact of what we do goes beyond profit and, and business and enters the socio-economic ground.
1: You' are mentioning the World Economic Forum. that's great because they have very much focused during the last years on on digital transformation or the you know the industrial revolution and so on. And Klaus Schwab, let me just mention it. Yeah. President yeah. of the World Economic Forum. He did also the endorsement of our book, so you find him on, on the book, so just just as a, as, a, as a short comment. Of course, if you go for digital transformation, also especially also the second S curve very innovative business, this also is somehow linked to complete change in leadership, people and culture. Yeah. And, and this, of course, is very much linked also to this strong request of more and more talents in your company about purpose, that what you do is always somehow exciting because you have a strong purpose. Not only what you're doing every day, but what is the purpose of CEO and what is the purpose to contribute to society and you know to 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 the people, to the planet and so on. And that's that would be for me a bit now the next step after this book is how to link sustainability and digital transformation. because these two topics are strongly linked. and we just started to discuss it a little bit in our book. What could be the next step? But in any case, this concept of a second S-curve, if you look on, the, on, the, on, the, on, on of two S-curves to the second S-curve, and if you think now about all what should be invented for sustainability, all new technologies, all new solutions, think just about the new book of Bill Gates, I'm quite sure yeah. that is also part on, of starting new business new innovations on the second S-curve. So all the success factors we are describing in our book for digital business on the second S-curve is, in my opinion, fully valid also for all new innovations in climate protection or in the Green Deal. So that's where you find, of course, a lot of these activities with a a strong contribution to society.
0: A strong contribution... To society. That's so very important. Uh, you have mentioned so far uh, those uh, purely internet companies uh, that have started as startups and then have become the real giants of our economy today. And the fact that many of those, uh, from Facebook to Amazon to Apple, uh, but also Baidu, Tencent, Alibaba in China, have started uh, purely riding the wave of commercial internet, uh, and then slowly but steadily, or just steadily and not slowly, they have disrupted every industry they have entered. This is, um, if you look what are the main drivers of the second
1: S-curve, then I would absolutely mention all these new uh, tech companies Companies you you were just referring to, and also all potential startups which might become unicorns or even big tech players in the next ten to twenty years. And what is their approach in the on the first S curve? Usually, legacy companies they are very much focused on what I call vertical excellence. So they know very well the value chain of the existing business, and that's what they optimize or they have optimized for many years. And now they use digital technologies, digital competences to further optimize the vertical excellence. The big tech players are much, much stronger what I call horizontal excellence. Uh, They know much better to link different data from different branches. And suddenly these big tech players become your competitors in areas you would never have expected before. And that's why the legacy companies they have to be very aware about even Amazon, which was perhaps a book seller 20 years ago. They might enter all your business somehow if they want to. I would make one difference. I think the big tech player, especially from the Silicon Valley and now some also from China, they are the winners in what I call the commercial internet, in the B2C platforms or marketplaces. Still, the competition for what I call the B2B, the industrial internet, the internet of things, this struggle is still open. And I think the legacy companies coming out of the physical world of the things, they have to make sure that they can somehow be very competitive in this, what I call second wave of, of the internet or second wave of digitization. And that's why it's so important for these legacy companies also to build up, i just repeat it, new business on the second S-curve. Very innovative, disruptive, quite often in the area of big data, artificial intelligence, new platforms, Internet of Things platforms, and so on. That's the only way that all the legacy companies, big one and small one, can somehow sc- cope with the big tech player also in this next wave of digital transformation.
0: That's inspiring. And you see, Marcus, the more I study the, su- the subject and the more I talk to experts, like yourself, like many other fantastic guests I had on the show. I'm thinking of Alec Ross, a former senior advisor uh, for innovation to Hillary Clinton and Obama. I'm thinking of Peter Fiske, who was with me a couple of weeks ago, one of the world's leading futurists. I had uh, uh, Callum Chase uh, speaking about artificial intelligence. And so uh, the more I, I, I delve into the subject, the more I realize that uh, technology plays an important part, uh, but culture is what makes a difference. Uh, I mean, just to to quote Eric Chaniot from Michelin, as mentioned in your book, who's the digital transformation manager of of Michelin, he says 95% of digital transformation efforts in a traditional company has to be focused on culture and only 5% on technology.
1: Also a very important point. In our book, the structure is very much in the beginning why do you need a digital transformation? Yeah, And then we talk about what is a digital transformation, what kind of strategy. And then the main part is on the how, how to implement. And on the implementation, we identified six areas, the most important, six areas where you can or you will find or you have these kind of dilemmas. Three are more what I call hard factors. This is technology. We talked a little bit already, organization and processes. And the other three, this is your point, what we call soft factors. This is leadership, people, and culture. And I'm also very much convinced that quite often the main obstacle are the three soft factors and not the three hard factors. Not always, but quite often. And of course, that's something we can now in our discussion also deepen a little bit. Why is it so important also to focus on leadership,
0: on culture, and also on people. Yeah, let's talk about it. Let's okay. talk about it. how can a corporate leader address business transformation from a cultural point of view? What do they have to do? How can we define culture to start with? If you
1: want to talk about culture, I think this very much com-
0: combines
1: in a company 1st uh, values of the company, the beliefs of the company, and also the behaviors of the company. These are the three main elements. So... I think the first step, of course, is to look again in your values. And of course, this is very challenging because, again, these companies have been very successful for many years, and also because they have a strong company culture. they have a kind of company DNA, and the company DNA are also very strong values. And because of these strong values, they are so successful. So the first step, of course, if you come more from the cultural side, is to look, are there any values which might be adapted to the new digital world. That's something I would consider. And perhaps there might be some, for example, I don't know, another approach on leadership. Mm. You know, for example, what I quite often call in the on the second S-curve is intelligent failures are welcome. So failures are welcome. And in many tri- traditional companies, failures are not welcome. They are not accepted. But in the, in the culture of innovation, you need to accept what I call intelligent failures, because only with intelligent failures, you are learning and adapting. What is, an
0: what is an intelligent failure?
1: Yeah, just take one example. Yeah. You're starting a new business on the second S-curve, very innovative. And to start a business, and also you're doing some premises, assumptions about the business model. Who might be the customers? What is your value proposition? That's, and based on these assumptions, you start a business you do some testing, you're meeting some customers, you get some feedback about your value proposition, about functions, and so on. But after six months, perhaps, your assumptions have been completely wrong. And you, you have to change it. You have to adapt it. You have to pivot it. And then you have to accept that these failures exist. And because you did these failures, you you were learning. And this is what I call intelligent failures because you do assumptions And, you know, in this VUCA world of volatility, uncertainty, and so on, you have to work much more with with assumptions and not with certainties anymore. And as long as as you are working with assumptions, and look, we we have this experience on on the pandemic every day. We are working with some assumptions. And one week later, perhaps, the reality is different. And you have to adapt. That's why you need so strong agility, where you can always adapt. That's, and that's why I'm very much convinced intelligent failures is part of values. You might change because in the past, failures were not accepted in your company. And now you have to change. That is part on value. And
0: then you, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I love it. And I, and I just love to repeat it for the sake of highlighting it for our listeners. Going forward, you have to work on assumptions rather than certainty. This makes so much sense to me
1: absolutely Um, and again this is not only valid for uh, one certain business this is becoming valid for our society indeed Uh, definitely so and then when it comes from values to coming back to the cultural topics to beliefs then it comes more to the people to the leader they have to change their beliefs somehow their mindset uh, and starting to you know have a kind of self-criticism feedback culture, and so on, and only in a very strong feedback culture, you are also changing your beliefs. And uh, that, of course, is also not so easy to, for leaders, which have been in a certain business, in a certain environment for 20 years, 30 years, now to change their beliefs about how to do business. But they have to do it. Otherwise, you will not change the culture. And then it becomes to the, comes to the behavior. And that's where what I quite often call uh, walk the talk. That's where you have to demonstrate to your people that you are really changing, that you have a new mindset and that you really want to change and that you are going the way towards change, even if it becomes difficult. And, you know, business transformation is always easy if everything is still very successful, but it becomes more difficult if it's you are, I wouldn't say immediately in a crisis, but in a more difficult environment and you still stick to your business transformation and you don't stop it. I, I take one example, very simple, what I always tell the people. You know, when you start business on the second S-curve, you innovation, you will, have, you will move some people from first S-curve to second S-curve. Otherwise it will not start. Usually you should move good people. If you don't move good people, second S-curve business will not be successful. And what happens quite often, that there's a crisis on the first S-curve in your current business, and then the companies move back the people from the second S-curve to the first. And then you kill all second S-curve business, but you kill also the cultural change you started to communicate or the, the business transformation you wanted to start because your people will not believe anymore that second S-curve is important because you move back people so the first, escort. this is something I I did experience a lot, and this is always I think a good example. If you just imagine as a company, you want to start completing your business, but you at the end you are not yeah you don't walk
0: talk. That's an interesting interesting subject. Yeah, I can envision that. Uh, We want to start something new. We we put the good people there, but then something happens in the core business and we bring them back. So what should companies do instead? So they have placed uh, the good ones in the new initiatives. And when something happens in the core business, what shall they do? I mean, of course, in the beginning of a second S-curve business, you will not
1: move half of your people on the second S-curve. You will only move a few people in the beginning. So you still have enough people on the first S-curve. If if you don't have enough very competent people on the first S-curve, then you have an issue anyhow. (laughs) Then I think then even your core business might not be very sustainable in the next years. So, and of course, another possibility is I'm always very supportive. When you start second S-curve business, you, you move some of your people who, you, who know your company quite well on the second S-curve, but you also hire from external because you ma- because you will need on the second S-curve, you're entering new markets, you're entering new value propositions. You know, quite often on the second S-curve, you have to think about a new business model because quite on, on innovation, we are always talking about product innovation. This is very important. However, business model innovation is as important, but people are not looking so much at business model innovation. And so if you start a business model innovation, then it makes a lot of sense also to have a team with a high diversity. So bring together different functions, bring together different ages, different cultures, yeah, different gender. That's why I believe for the second S-curve, but this is also valid for all companies. Also on first S-curve, diversity is also key. And that comes back a little bit to the purpose discussion we had before, I think, people are much more excited to work in companies with a high level of diversity, yeah, and not in companies where you still stick to what you did in your
0: core business 20 years ago. Absolutely. I I, I experienced it myself in an extremely diverse city like Dubai. The fact that there are over 170 nationalities working and living there creates such a level of innovation to the point that there's a Ministry for Artificial Intelligence uh, Absolutely. And of
1: course, if you think about innovation, it's, it's always also the issue of taking risks. As long as you are on, a, on your first S-curve, this is a t- traditional business you know very well and you have been very successful. You know the customers, you know your competitors, you know the competences of your people and so on. So it's very solid. And I, I, I really want to make the point also here, and it's very important also in the future. I'm not saying second S-curve Business is more important than first S-curve. Both are as important. However, if you go for second S-curve, then you need to go for an approach with much more risks, risk-taking. And this comes back to the question of intelligent failures and so on. But only if you are willing to take risks, much higher risks than you used to take in the last decade or last decades. Then you will be successful on the second escrow. And this comes back again about your question on culture. Only a a certain culture of risk-taking will allow you for digital transformation. And all the startups, big tech companies, the unicorns, they all took a lot of risks in the beginning. You know, don't forget all these companies, they have not been very successful in the first years. Yeah, Uh, yeah. Even Amazon, Apple, you name it, Google, Microsoft, in the beginning, the first years, has always been very difficult.
0: Not to mention how long it took some of them to become profitable. Exactly, yeah. yeah so yeah. And, and, and sticking to the innovation in business model, and I so much agree with you, because many people think of innovation only and simply in terms of products, whereas it's the business model itself that must change in order to secure more relevance in future. And you address in the book four key dimensions of business model customers, value proposition, value delivery and value capture. Shall we elaborate on those uh, for a second?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's very also very important and I just want to repeat it what you mentioned is business model innovation is something very very difficult and challenging because you have to have a complete different approach about how the business is organized today and how the business might be organized in the, in the future. So you need a lot of also creativity, imagination, how it could change or how it will change. And of course, how much will change because of external drivers, external companies, tech companies, but how much also can be changed if you do it, if you shape it. And if you start to shape it and you identify yourself, new business models before anybody else is doing, then you are in a strong position. Then it comes to these four elements. This is a very structured approach based on a model from from the University of St. Gallen, how to do business model innovation. And I can just tell you one anecdote. When I was still at Bosch, we spent with my management team, all business unit leaders, very, very busy every day, two days, already five, six years ago, in St. Gallen at the university to train everybody in business model innovation. And this was for everybody completely new because they were used to do product innovation always. Best product, next generation, 30% better costs, 30% better quality, 20% better functionality. But they did never think if the business model or revenue model could be completely different. So this was somehow for me a little bit the beginning also to get in contact with the University of St. Gallen and to learn about this new concept business model innovation and then you've got the four elements of course when you go through this and i do it still today a lot with medium-sized companies to look together what is the existing business model and what could be changed in the future to come to new business models that's where you always look who are your customers who might be your future customers might be completely different completely different sales channels can be online can be b2b2c whatever you imagine Then you look at your value proposition, which might be also completely different. You're not selling any more product. You might sell what is called product as a service. You you might sell something for sharing. You might sell subscriptions. You name it. And then you look again in, in in the value chain of the new business model. And you look what kind of competences do you need to support this kind of new business models. And then you identify what are your existing competences. But then you also look what is the gap towards the new competence you might need. And then it comes directly to people, training, reskilling, and so on. And then the last point is to look, of course, if you go for business model innovation at the end, you want to be successful also with regard to financial. So you have to look, will this new business model also be profitable? So how to make it a profitable new business? And that's where you look again, is there good potential with regard to revenue generation and costs you might have on this business to generate a sufficient profit, at least in the mid and long term, when you scale the business. And one last point, and that's exactly the the success of many tech companies and also startups. What do they do? They combine new technologies with business model innovation. You sometimes, we believe they are so innovative. No. They just use existing technologies like artificial intelligence and they think about new business models which usually already exist. But never, nobody up to now did combine these technologies with this new pattern of business model. And if you do it, you might be very successful. And it was not something I would consider as so innovative from a very, you know, strong criteria perspective. It's just trying, doing, pivoting, intelligent failures, and then it comes to to a successful new business model. And this is very difficult for, you know, legacy companies to, to come out of the existing business model.
0: Yeah. And it, it may also be the merger of a, a relatively new technology with a different business model that has been put together by somebody else in a different industry. And doing the same in, in your industry will make you an innovator, although the experience was there already.
1: Absolutely. Or think about, you know, in this world of big data and think about more and more big data, not only coming from consumer, that is already very much existing, but big data coming more and more from the things, yeah. huh? from products. Yeah. and you combine this data into new platforms and because you combine the data you share it with somebody else you can generate completely new value which didn't exist before because there was no big data to share and you did never combine big data from one industry with another industry but if you do it you can offer completely new values either to other uh, business companies or to the to the end consumer
0: Indeed. Marcus, I know there are no magic formulas to succeed. Life would be too easy if they were. But there's the 70-20-10 formula, which you report being one of the most uh, successful ways uh, to invest uh, energies and resources in digital innovation. Can you explain?
1: Yeah. yeah. Quite often, the question is how to fix your resources, how to fix your budget, your your, your financial resources with regard to investment into the different phases of innovation. And the idea, I mean, is a little bit to look how much you should focus on really core, core business, how much you should focus on next generation products, and how much you should focus on really disruptive innovation. So, and at the end, also how much you should spend for these different activities and that's that's a little bit the idea that you should still spend 70% at least on your core business because only the core business can finance also the innovative business it's also you have to also always to make sure that everybody understands in your company that still your core business will finance the next steps if your core business is not successful you will not have uh, any budget any money to finance any new new ideas And that's it's very important because, you know, there are some sometimes discussions I know quite well. People on the first S-curve believe that the activities on the second S-curve are just uh, wasting money. People on the first S-curve are earning. And the people on the second S-curve believe that the people on the first S-curve, they don't even know today that in three years or five years, the business model will not exist anymore. And that is also dilemma. And that's uh, the typical, you know, stereo- stereotypes in, in on both S-curves. And that's something you have to overcome. And you overcome it best if you have a clear decision how much resources and budget you want to bring to the first and how much to the second S-curve and to have a very strong communication. You need always to communicate to the people. Why are you doing digitization of the first S-curve? And also why you are doing... Digital transformation, digital business on the second S curve. I'm also very much, I'm very much convinced, and this is valid for all business transformation. You also need strong communication. Don't underestimate that you should. E- it's better to communicate three times more, even if you repeat it every time. Yeah, it's better, especially if you are in a situation of change or like the pandemic. Huh? During the pandemic, it was very important to communicate because people don't, they don't feel comfortable. Of course, communication alone is not sufficient. I just come back to what I mentioned before. I've, at the end, you have to walk the talk. You have to do it also, and not only to communicate. However, I in a transition... S-
0: yeah, I so much agree with you, especially d- during the first phase of the pandemic. Uh, so many companies failed to communicate with their teams. And i I I've spoken to... Hundreds, thousands of people who were confused, worried, and not knowing not only what was happening in the world, but where the company was going.
1: Yeah. I mean, this was a lot, also big challenge. I would even tell it's a uh, te- stress test for many leaders t- t- during the pandemic, still up to now. In the beginning, of course, there was a very fast change with all this remote working. You know, people now have the infrastructure at home and so on. However, this Worked very well for how to say well structured meetings and even very efficient. I was also surprised how efficient it can work. However, on the leadership side, I still there's, I believe there are still a lot of things to do because you also need a complete different style of leadership mm. if you are dealing with a team which is working only remote. And that's where the personal relationship, the direct, you know, the feedback and so on becomes even more important than when you can meet face-to-face. And I think this is a part of the uh, pandemic or leadership change which is not really addressed today.
0: I agree. And I also wanted to ask you, how tech-savvy do top middle uh, executives uh, have to be today to carry their digital transformation efficiently?
1: I think this is also one of the big challenges in a company which will be successful on this digital transformation, first and second S-curve. The best would be to have some executives with experience on both S-curves. So 10 years on the first S-curve and 10 years on the second S-curve. However, in reality, you don't find many people who have these experiences. Yeah? Either they have been with a big tech company for a long time, but they don't know at all what it means to be in a core business for legacy companies, or they've been in legacy companies for many years. So they have not a real clue about, you know, platform, business, marketplaces, uh, B2C, big data, and so on. So this means in the beginning, you have to find people in your organization. I start now with the top executives um, where at least you can in your team have perhaps a good combination of one, two people with a long experience on the first S-curve, and one or two people with a good experience on second S curve, and combine them. But then you have to be very transparent and again a strong communication that you accept that each of them takes a certain role, not only function, not title, but role. role. Uh, yeah, I'm the ro- I'm on the role of the first S curve. I'm on the role of the second S curve, and the combination is strong. Uh, this is that's how you could start. And of course, it's also important to identify when you are in a legacy companies among your top executives, some which might be, how to say, very interested in the culture of the second S-curve. So who like very much disruptive innovation, who like very much take certain risks, who like very much what I call a little bit more leadership as a coach or sparing partner and, you know, inspiring your team. You, you are pushing for very strong feedback culture you accept intelligent failures and so on. And if you find, and that's quite often also possible, people, even with a long experience on the first S-curve, they might be sensitive to what is uh, needed on the second S-curve. And if you train them, if you give them the experience on the second S-curve, then you might also have, within a couple of years, some executives, top executives, who can somehow cover both S-curves because you need it. And on your people side, you need it even more, because I'm very much convinced that with regard to career development in a company, you need people who might be three years on the first S-curve, three years on the second S-curve, coming back, and so on. This is not easy, because some people, they don't want to the second S-curve because it's too risky, and some people, they consider the second S-curve so, how to say, sexy, that they never want to come back to the first S-curve. This is a leadership topic, but if you train your people to do this career development, career path from one escort to the, to the other and back, then you mu- will get also very well-skilled people for the th- digital transformation. That's my, my experience and I'm also very still very convinced that it's the, the
0: right approach. As we are heading towards uh, the end of our conversation, uh, What are, in your opinion and based on your experience, uh, the technologies which have the highest potential for economic disruption today?
1: So let me put it this way. I'm looking at the technologies technologies which are already available. uh, And then I talk a little bit about the technologies which, in my opinion, will be available in the next three to five years. The first one, this is no surprise probably to you. However, I repeat it every time, is that Artificial intelligence with all the algorithm like machine learning, deep learning, is available. You don't need to develop it anymore. It's available open source in the market. So companies who are not using already artificial intelligence for first S-curve and second S-curve, they have a real urgency because it's so relevant. Because with artificial intelligence, you can generate a lot of new business models. And you can very much optimize your first first S curve in your existing value chain for competitiveness, efficiency, productivity, and so on. So if you don't use artificial intelligence already right now, you have to do it. So this is urgency, 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 I would say. This with, with big data. So this is one I, aspect. Yeah. The second one is which is a little bit which is taking a little bit more time is blockchain. I believe that blockchain not Today, it's very much discussed about digital currencies, Bitcoin, and so on. This is only, in my opinion, niche. I agree. You can, but the real use of blockchain, also, for example, in, in luxury products. And yeah. I'm also a board member in a retail uh, company. I'm very much involved in all kinds of digital transformation of the retail business. And I'm very much pushing the retail company now to look into blockchain. Because if you think about sustainability, about you know, proof of origins, transparency in your value chain, blockchain as a trust, you know, uh, enabler. Absolutely. will be huge, very, very important. So I think this is a bit, takes a little bit more time because the technology is quite different to AI and so on. But I think in three to five years, many, many companies will have to use uh, blockchain. And then to me, the next, but probably we cannot deepen, the next two very important technologies will, which will come up One is hydrogen in the area of uh, climate protection. Mm -hmm. This will be, I think, the most important enabler to reach our CO2 targets in uh, 2030 and to become CO2 neutral globally in 2050. That's hydrogen will be huge. And the second is on more on the, how to say, software side, electronic side, which is also my background, is quantum computing, which will will be a really disruptive technology in 5 to 10 years and will allow completely new product services which you cannot somehow imagine today. Can you give me just one example? On quantum computing? Yes, please. Quantum computing will allow very, very fast calculations which are not possible today. For example, for the development of new materials, where today no algorithm, no software is fast enough. No calculator is fast enough. So you still need a lot of time to develop new materials. I'm talking very nan- nanotechnologies, materials yeah. and so on. Yeah. This with a quantum computer could do it in, within one hour or something like this, or one day. Uh, this is one example. Or in, in, in chemistry, for example, you know the development of battery cells for electrical cars and so on. This can with quantum computing be done very, very fast. Wow. So wherever you need... Fast calculations, which are not possible with today's technology of computers. That's where quantum computing
0: will be the key in the the future. That's fascinating. Where can our listeners uh, who are interested in your work uh, and your knowledge, where can they find you? Of course, they can find me on LinkedIn. And
1: of course... I mean, uh, on, the, on the book, uh, you, you can also find me very fast on Amazon or whatever. Excellent.
0: Marcus Mead, it was a pleasure to have you on Luxe & Tech.
1: Yeah. Carlo, thank you very much for inviting me. It was a pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for the very valuable questions and discussion. It was a great pleasure.
0: If you enjoy this content... Remember to subscribe to our podcast so you won't miss any of our weekly interviews with world's experts in the fields that are shaping the world we live in. You can also help us grow the podcast by sharing it with the people who need to hear it and by leaving a positive comment on the platform you use. I truly appreciate it. See you next week.